The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, September 17, 2023, on the basis of Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. If the statistics hold true, then the number of people in this room about whom this would apply would be about 25. There are currently 340 million Americans, roughly speaking, about 44 million of those Americans currently hold some kind of federal student loan debt, a ratio of about one to eight. And so if you applied that ratio to this room, the resulting number of people would be about 25. And if the statistics would hold true, then the average amount of debt that those 25 people would hold would be roughly $39,000. You might be aware that federal student loan debt has been a topic of conversation in our country for, well, quite some time now. Going all the way back to March of 2020, payments were allowed to stop and interest rates were set at zero. Almost three years ago now. More than three years ago now. But starting on September 1st, those interest rates went back up and the interest started piling up. And come October, anyone having federal student loan debt is going to need to resume making their payments. And so, of course, this has become just one more thing that we can all fight about. Should everybody be expected to pay back their student loans or should those student loans somehow be forgiven? I'm guessing you have an opinion about that. Regardless of what that opinion might be, I think in general we tend to view financial transactions, including the borrowing and lending of money, as a very personal and individual thing. When I am going through the self-checkout line at Costco, my transaction has almost nothing to do with the person who is standing behind me, other than that they want me to go as fast as possible so that they can get through the line quickly. And in the same way, whether it's student loan debt, or credit card debt, whether it's a car loan or a home mortgage, we tend to view debt as this individual, private thing. It's no one else's business. It's no one else's responsibility. And so it's probably very natural that when the Bible talks about our relationship with God using financial terms, that we would tend to view things in exactly the same way. The sins that we commit the debt those sins incur before God and the way that God handles our debt. No one else's business, no one else's responsibility, just between me and him. Well, today we're wrapping up this worship series that we've been in for the past several weeks entitled The Kind of Church That Jesus Wants. And already last week we saw something that we're going to again see today. That within Jesus' church, the sins that we commit and the debt we incur before God isn't just our business and isn't just our responsibility. Instead, as we pick up in Matthew chapter 18, right where we left off last week, we're going to see that Jesus again has something to say to us about the way sin should be handled and the way debt should be dealt with within the kind of church that Jesus wants. And as we look at these verses from Matthew chapter 18 this morning, here's what we're going to see, that when it comes to our sin, when it comes to our debt before God, 
your balance with God isn't just your balance with God. Now, there's one way in which that is obviously true. And that's the way that prompted Peter to ask the question he asked Jesus. Jesus' disciple Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? So sometimes the sins that people commit and the debt that they incur are sins that they commit against us, which means that the debt that they owe is not just a debt they owe God, it's a debt that they owe us. I'm sure you can relate. I'm sure you've been on both sides of that financial transaction. And yet in the parable that Jesus told in response to Peter's question, he illustrates another very important principle about debt. There's this king who has a servant who has this insurmountable and unpayable debt. And as the king is going through his books and he discovers this debt, he orders that the servant be sold as a slave in order to repay it. Only not just him, his wife and his children too. And so right away we might think, well, that's not fair. They didn't do anything wrong. That was his debt. He should have to repay it. And yet Jesus' words illustrate something very important about our spiritual debt before God. They illustrate that the closer you are to someone else, the more their debt also becomes your debt. And so sure, for example, you may feel that as an American taxpayer, you have absolutely no obligation to help repay the debt of some random 26-year-old who lives down in Houston, Texas and has spent the last eight years of his life paying an expensive private school so that he can get a PhD in polka music. Fair enough. But what if that one out of every eight Americans who are holding roughly $39,000 in debt happens to be the person that you get married to? You can say all you want that it's their debt that they have to pay it back with all of their money, you can insist that not a single penny of your money is going to help pay back their debt. But if you want to have a good marriage, I highly would advise you not to do that. Okay, simple enough. Let's get a little bit more serious. Sometimes in our country we like to debate whether the great, 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 great grandchildren of people who were owned as slaves in the American South should somehow be repaid for the sins that were committed against their family members. And for that matter, if the great, 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 great grandchildren of people who own slaves should somehow be responsible for that. You maybe have an opinion about that too. But the conversation would be very different if instead of talking about that, we were talking about what the people in Holland are talking about these days. Just earlier this year, it was announced that 32 million documents that have been kept completely under wraps for the last 75 years are going to be made public so that anyone can look through them. Those documents list all of the Dutch citizens who cooperated and who collaborated with the Nazis during World War II in their efforts to round up and exterminate Jewish people. And so once those documents are out in the open, 
people whose relatives died in the Holocaust are going to be able to digitally search and find out who turned their relatives in. And people are going to find out that their own family members were in part responsible for that. And these aren't great, 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 great grandparents. These are parents. These are grandparents. In some cases, these may even be people who are still alive. The sense of guilt, the sense of shame, maybe even the sense of responsibility intensifies the closer the relationship gets. The closer someone is to you, the more their debt also becomes your debt. Okay, so now let's not just get serious, let's get personal. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus has been talking about how Christians have a very close relationship with one another. The Bible describes us as brothers and sisters in Christ. We are members of the same family. We share the same family name, just like siblings do. And so what if one of your siblings who comes to church every single week and sits in that pew just like you do, who brings their kids to Sunday school, who sings in the choir, who volunteers in all kinds of ways, suddenly does something that is both very evil and very public, the kind of thing that everyone else in the church knows about, the kind of thing that everyone else in town knows about and in fact knows was done by someone from Good News Lutheran Church, your church. Never mind the fact that we might also consider what if that very evil and public thing was done against you and harmed you. Whether you like it or not, you are bound up with that sin. You cannot just shove it away. You cannot just keep it at arm's distance. You cannot just say, that's their problem and not mine. The closer our relationship to someone, the more their debt becomes ours. Debt before God is not just this individual thing that we own all by ourselves. Instead, debt is communal. Your balance with God isn't just your balance with God. Well, now, if that is the case, that really leaves us with two options. And it's the same exact two options that we're left with with any form of debt. Option one, repayment. Option two, forgiveness. And let's say, for example, that when it comes to the question of student loan debt, the opinions in the room would sort of be divided on that. Maybe one thing we could at least all agree upon is that whatever option is pursued, it ought to be, be pursued consistently. It ought to be the same for everybody else, right? Either everyone gets forgiven or everyone has to repay. It wouldn't be right if there was one rule for some and one rule for another. Well, that's really the power and the point of the parable that Jesus tells. You see, Jesus, or, I'm sorry, Peter had asked Jesus a parable, asked him a question about forgiving someone else. But Jesus starts out with a story about a man who is being forgiven by someone else. This servant who has this insurmountable and unpayable debt is forgiven. No questions asked. Free and clear. Out the door he goes. And yet no sooner does he walk out the door than he sees a fellow servant who owes him a much smaller sum of money. 
And yet instead of forgiving him, he grabs him by the throat. He orders that he be thrown into jail and he insists that every penny be paid back. And that's why in the story, the king does what he does. He says to the servant, wasn't it necessary for you to forgive your fellow servant the way that I forgave you? And that's why he does what he does. Once the servant insists that this other servant's debt needs to be paid back, the king completely flips. He throws his servant in prison, orders him to be tortured until every last cent is paid. And that's why after concluding the parable, in real life, Jesus also says to us in words of very stern warning, this is how my Father in heaven will treat you unless you forgive one another from the heart. You see these two options, forgiveness or repayment. Not only are these the only two options for how things will work in Jesus' kingdom, they are the only two options for the policy that is going to run Jesus' kingdom in its entirety. You can have one or the other, but what you can't have is you can't have it both ways. So if you want to work for a company, in Jesus' company, where everyone has to pay back what they are owed, when everyone has to pay their own debts, then you will be expected to pay your debt too. And good luck with that. But if you want to work for a company where you have been forgiven for your debts, then you are signing up to be a part of the company where everyone is treated in exactly that same way, both by God and by you. And that is the case even when it's really hard. In fact, I wonder if it was ever as hard as it was for one of those Dutch citizens whose name is surely going to show up in those 32 million documents that are going to be made public in 2025. Her name was Corrie ten Boom. Maybe some of you are familiar with her story. She was a Dutch citizen living during the time of World War II, and she and her family decided not to collaborate with the Nazis, but instead to actually help protect and provide refuge for Jewish people by welcoming them into her home. Eventually, she was reported by one of her fellow Dutch citizens. She and her father and her sister Betsy were all taken captive. She and her sister ended up at Ravensbrück concentration camp. She survived, but her sister and her father did not. Just a couple of years after World War II was over, she was traveling throughout Germany speaking to rooms full of people about how God can forgive. And one night, as the people were walking out of the room, there was a man that walked up to her, a man that she instantly recognized, a man from her past. He had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp, and a guard that had treated especially cruelly the prisoners who were there, including Corey and her sister. The man thanked her for her speech. He said to her that he had become a Christian and he knew that God had forgiven him and yet he extended his hand and he said, Fräulein, will you forgive me too? Understandably so, she hesitated for a little bit. 
but eventually she took his hand in hers and she forgave. And perhaps what's most remarkable is that as she talked about this in her book, she didn't say that in that instant she had never felt her love for someone else so intensely. Instead, she said that in that moment she had never felt God's love for her so intensely. Our forgiveness of other people is inseparably bound to the forgiveness that God has for us. Just as our debt is communal, so also our forgiveness of that debt is communal. Your balance with God isn't just your balance with God. Friends, when Jesus asks us to be the kind of church that he wants, the kind of church that forgives other people freely, it's perhaps the most difficult thing that he asks us to do. And yet maybe you'd also agree that it's the thing that our world could use most right now. And so thankfully in this story, Jesus tells us exactly where it comes from. As Jesus describes that king who forgave the debt of the servant, it says that he first took pity on him. Well, the word that's used there literally means that he was bothered deep down inside of his guts over what had happened. His stomach was churning with compassion for the servant that was in front of him. And that word that describes what it means to have someone's stomach churned, it, it sort, of, sort of presupposes something. In order for your stomach to be churned, it first needs to be still. It first needs to be calm. It first needs to be settled. And not only does that perfectly describe our God's attitude toward us, it describes exactly the heart that you and I need if we are going to forgive others. Friends, if you and I think, like the servant foolishly did, that we can repay our debts before God, our, our soul and our heart will never be stilled. It will always be churning. We'll constantly be looking over our shoulder, wondering if we missed some transaction, wondering if the debt collector is finally going to catch up with us. And then, of course, when we see someone who owes something to us, we are going to squeeze out of them every last penny we can because it makes our balance sheet look just a little bit better. And that's exactly what goes on in our world. That's exactly what goes on in our lives when we don't forgive. We are acting like people who have this nagging sense that we are still in debt and so, of course, we need to extract whatever we can out of the people around us. But friends, you and I don't need that repayment option. In Jesus Christ, God has forgiven our debt completely. Jesus' perfect life and his innocent death were for the whole wide world, including that guard at Ravensbrook, including you, Jesus has repaid every single penny. The note has been shredded and the mortgage has been burned. That balance that you owed God because of your sin has been settled, which means that your heart can be settled too, which is great news for you. It's also great news for everyone around you people whose debt isn't just their debt, but people whose sins affect and hurt you.
if they belong to the kind of church that Jesus wants, then Jesus has provided them with exactly what they need. He's provided them with you. You, whose balance with God, and not just your balance with God, Jesus has made completely zero. Amen.